Greetings and welcome to the Mount Rushmore podcast. My name is Jeff, and guess who's in the uh, virtual room with me? It's Richard. Hello. And Michael. Howdy. Richard and Michael are always debating the Mount Rushmore of any given topic, and this week the topic is come on down the Mount Rushmore of games in The Price is Right. Did I get that right? Yeah, Price is Right games. You okay, Price right. is Right games. I'll, I'm no Rod Roddy, but uh, I'm trying. <laughs> so, Richard, you you're, chose you're more it. his. You're more his brother, Todd Roddy. Todd Roddy, yeah. Which sounds... Todd, Todd, Todd Toddy is a delicious <laughs> hot drink. <laughs> I think some mulled wine or cider in there or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, you chose it. You must be an aficionado of these games. I know you're a game show guy, but why this in particular? Well, I think the, the Price is Right is the mother of all game shows to some extent. Certainly, it was the mother of all game shows that you watched when you were sick as a kid, when you were 10 years yeah. old. <laughs> That's right. Hell yeah. When you were home from school, that was one of the real highlights of being home sick is at least yeah. you got to watch Price is Right. Yeah. Um, and I said, it's something that people have talked. It's actually something that, that people have suggested to me in the past should be on the show. Oh, so I I don't have specific people. It's just it's just sort of come up in conversation a couple of times at least. I know. Is it people? So, is it people? Is it people with their want? <laughs> is it people with their names on their pinned to their um to their shirt, just yelling and, things at you? And, yes, that's usually how. Well, that's usually how most of my conversations work. So yes. Yes, I the Price is Right uh, gave me a an um misrepresentation of how many active military were in game shows it seemed like every episode there was one uh, <laughs> soldier on leave who was on the show um uh so okay so I, I have to confess there's only a few things that i uh a few games i'm familiar with the old bob barker prices right i haven't seen the drew carey one uh but maybe it's Maybe they kept the classics anyhow, but so I will be definitely a sponge with a uh, viewer, very few preconceived um, uh, opinions on this. So Richard chose it. Michael starts. Um, my choice, my first choice, which is probably uh, on Richard's list, don't know for sure, but it seemed like the most obvious one is Plinko. Plinko. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. Where um, everyone knows this game, just visually it's, I think the price is right. is so good about, um, what they do with their just these huge visual things that are rolled out onto this, you know, onto this um, giant set. And the Plinko board is um, the game. Basically, it, like almost all of the um, prices, right? Games, it begins with trying to guess the price of a particular, I don't know, can of soup or like mm. Brillo pads. And you have to get, you know, within a certain amount or i can't remember if, if it's plinko if you're just like matching a price to a particular object and then however many things you get correct you get those number of like these little discs and you climb to the top of the plinko board and um you kind of place them on like a big um like a big pegboard that's kind of covered in like plexiglass and the the little disc kind of bounces down to the very bottom and you know it's uh you can win an amount of money and depending on how many of these little discs you have, you win um, that much in uh, where it lands at the slot at the bottom. So the, the one in the middle is like $10,000 and on either side of the one is like zero. And then, you know, the, the, the amount of money, you know, is kind of um, spread out amongst the board. And, you know, it is just so visually, I, I think what 
it does two things. One, it's just visually arresting to just watch this little thing dance down the board and potentially land in the $10,000 slot. But it's the sound that I think is so, is so wonderful on Plinko. It just has this little delicate, I guess you could call it a plink as yeah. it like dinks, right. dinks and plinks and, you know, falls its way down the board. And, um, it's just so satisfying to watch. It's satisfying to see people do great, and it's satisfying to see people get like a hundred dollars, and that's it. Yeah, is was Plinko kind of a condensation of Pachinko, or is isn't that a game similar? Yeah, that is. Yeah. Okay. I think that's where it came from. Okay, okay. Richard, what's uh, your feeling yeah. about this game, and why do you think it's compelling? Well, I think all prices. I think the best prices right games, or many of them at least combine an element of human interaction with humans, people actually doing something physically. That's like For a sure. physical thing, along with For the sure. pricing element of it. So anything where it's just you have to guess a price and then if the price is over, you win. Those can get kind of tedious after a while. There's only so many times you can care about how much you know, a can of bumblebee tuna is. But whenever you combine that with some sort of physical action, I think that's when you get a special game. And I think there's nothing more so than Plinko. And I think Michael hit hit it on the head with just the, there's something viscerally fun about watching that chip kind of work its way down the board. And it looks like it's going to pop in the $10,000 space. And then the last second it veers into the zero and it's like, oh, yeah. or the other way around. And I always appreciate the strategy of the people who are, up at the board mm-hmm. of where exactly they're going to drop it and if they're going to put any spin on it and do they make a correction after the first time and it goes into zero so they go to the other side of the board do they stick with the same drop uh-huh. it's just it, it's fascinating kind of human psychology yeah well that's fun they uh the it does seem like in an era in which uh, some games were being hacked and won by people who would memorize patterns and, and ele- electronically created and repeating elements. You can't, you can't hack Plinko, <laughs> I don't think. Seems Unless like there's this. a magnet or some sort of magnet at the bottom, but I, yeah. I, that'd be about it. Um, I, I also like this game because our, our friend and former uh, co- guest host on the show, uh, Chris Carey, uh, one time for a kickball mid-season or end of season party, it was a P party where you had to dress as something starts with the letter P. Yeah. And he built a Plinko board that had, it was on, and he wore it on his shirt. It was like a mini Plinko board. Mm-hmm. And he would invite people to play in one, like one of the slots down there was win free drink. And he <laughs> must've, he must've, someone must've hit that a dozen times during the course of the night. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know how many times Chris, poor Chris had to like, now this was at the Elks Lodge. So it was like a $2 <laughs> yeah. drink. So it's, it's not, get mm-hmm. too upset about it for him but <laughs> it was just it was just always a funny memory memory yeah. for me they uh you know the first thing i do whenever you guys uh, outsmart me with your smarty smarts is google the thing and try to figure out something i can um try to quickly uh, educate myself and uh, this one says that the game was created by frank wayne who was the producer and a game show host himself uh frequently working for mark goodson productions but uh yeah, I love that. Like he, this guy was maybe the kind of, if not the Walt Disney of the show, the uh, the kind of uh, 
uh, I works <laughs> the guy behind the scenes creating some of the fun stuff. So um, that's a lot of fun. What a fun job that must be, by the way, to be the person who invents new games for the Price is Right. Oh yeah, oh, for sure. Like that's just got to be a. Ton- I mean, there's just enough creativity involved and all the factors. You know, what's gonna what makes a good game? How do you come up with new ideas? I just think that would be that would be a really cool job to have. Yeah, I and knowing were you to uh, not investigate thoroughly the strategy involved in it, and it could somehow be won easily. You're you're gonna bankrupt right. the show. <laughs> you you could you could be responsible for the death of the prices. Right yeah, if, you, yeah. if you do not do it correctly. The game was wrong, and the prices right is over. Okay, cool choice that both of you chose, Blinko, and uh, let's go on with Richard's uh, second choice. All right, I think there were two choices that I would be surprised if we both don't have, and this is mm. the second one, and it is cliffhangers. Uh, also on my list, yeah. Oh, okay. I kind of assumed it would be. Um, if you know anything other than Plinko, you probably are familiar with the yodeling guy. That's the one I know. <laughs> yodeling. Yodeling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a very simple game. You have three prizes. Each are progressively larger in value. And you have to guess the price of it. And the little guy goes up the mountain however many dollars you're off by. And if you're able to get him to stop after the third prize and you haven't gone over by too much, then you win all three prizes. But if he falls over, you lose everything. And they don't tell you what the, what the uh, correct answer is. They just show you the yodeler going up the mountain, which I think yeah. is the, the key element of it. Because if it was, okay, this is $10, and, and Bob or Drew said, no, it's actually $15, so let's move it up five, that wouldn't be that dramatic. No. But when you guess $10, and they say, okay, let's see what it is, and the little guy starts <laughs> moving up, and you see it, and it's not stopping, and you can hear the audience like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and especially when it gets, it's down to the last one. And the guy is getting close to the edge. Maybe he's going to stop, and maybe he isn't. That's it's the perfect setup for drama, which is what I think <laughs> they're trying to build on the Price is Right. Do you feel like there is a uh, so Frank uh, Wayne or whoever's creating the games is a philosophy major? Like they they go Nietzsche has a principle of <laughs> called the mountain, <laughs> or this the Sisyphean. <laughs> <laughs> this is Sisyphus, and he, there's no crow that pecks his eyes out, and there's no boulder. He just knows that he has to go up this mountain. Or there, I'm sure there's some philosophical principle that this is all based upon. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I could I, also see like like the um, uh, the German uh, um, ambassador to post-war, post-World War II saying, yeah, that's us. Think of us like that, the fun mountain climber. We're not those other guys. <laughs> We're not the Nazis. We're not no, we the won't Nazis. say their names. The other guys. The other guys. We're, not those other guys. We're fun. We wear lederhosen and drink and drink <laughs> giant beers out of styles. Come join us. Michael, what made you choose uh, Cliffhangers? It is um, by far my favorite um, Price is Right game. It's the one that, you know, when you are, as was brought up at the beginning of the show, when you're, you know, eight years old, 10 years old, and you're home from school, 
uh, it is just the most fun to watch because it's the most ridiculous. <laughs> you just see this little guy going up the hill. And like, as Richard said, you don't know if he's going to fall off. You 100% want the, per- the person to lose the game. That's, I think that's the thing. The key to watching cliffhangers is you don't want this person who's playing this game to win. Mm-hmm. You want to see the demise of the yodeling guy yeah. go off the edge because it's just it's just great. He just falls off and like, uh, you know, I, I haven't seen the Drew Carey ones either, but like Bob Barker, I think he just didn't give a shit about this game. He didn't really seem to react uh-huh. in my memory of the, him going over the edge. He wasn't like, oh, too bad. Or like, yay, you did it. It was just like, Oh, there, there you go. He's, I think he's above this game, mm-hmm. but for a, a nine-year-old, it was um, just so, so, so wonderful to watch. Yeah. Has, have you ever seen it where, you know, like we've seen the Jeopardy, or sorry, the um, uh, Jeopardy fails where somebody writes Donkey Kang, you know, instead of Donkey Kong or something <laughs> like that, or, or uh, um, I think of um, Wheel of Fortune uh, where they guess. A completely wrong thing. Has, have you ever seen anybody just shoot that guy over the mountain <laughs> first the first time? Or like that? I don't remember just that. Off by twenty. He's just off by twenty five dollars and he's just gone. Yeah, he's trying to guess like a box of macaroni and cheese. It's like fifty dollars. Yeah. <laughs> I have Let's... no idea. I have no idea how much this is worth. Please help me. Yeah, it's 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 Donald Trump being unconnected to consumerism, like just basic grocery store things, and he's just like, I don't know, how much is milk? A hundred dollars? Who cares? <laughs> Yeah, it's like when uh, when George Bush, when he was in office, and they they had him for a campaign stunt, go and do a check, work the checkout register at some grocery store in New Hampshire, mm-hmm. and he was just amazed by how much a price of milk was, of a gallon of milk was. Like he had no no clue whatsoever what it could have yeah. possibly been. That that led sets an interesting counterpoint to you guys being sick and not at school <laughs> and then watching him going, Oh man, fuck life costs a lot of money. <laughs> I better, I better go back to school. I think too, by the end of like summer vacation, you are so well versed in how much, <laughs> how much everything costs that you're like, you're angry at the people playing the game. They're like, you don't know how much uh, a loaf of wonder bread is. Come on. Yeah. Dude, it's a dollar twenty nine. It's always been a dollar twenty nine. <laughs> How do you not know this? That's I don't funny. know what kind of studying one does, but uh, a ten year old um at the end of summer vacation certainly knows how much a, a can of um you know turtle wax. <laughs> always turtle wax. <laughs> yeah. I, my little thing that I found doing research for this uh game was on the Wikipedia. Um apparently one of the hosts, Dennis James, who I think was like the nighttime version in the seventies. Oh. If I'm correct, I he wasn't the Bob Barker version. But um he had nicknamed the little climber Fritz. And at one point the little you know, the little guy went off the thing and he said, Oh no, there goes Fritz. Well, it turns out that Janice, one of the, the uh the Price is right Barker's beauties. Yeah. Her her husband had re- recently disappeared in what had been reported to be a mountain climbing accident <laughs> at the time. Oh no! <laughs> Yikes! So she apparently spent the rest of the episode backstage in tears, and they had to work around that. <laughs> oh, that's unfortunate. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm surprised that you guys haven't uh, mentioned any of your favorite uh, uh, Barker's Beauties as your favorite game to play, um, or the one you wish you could. The uh, Holly Ann Hallstrom is one that popped up on the wiki as one of the longest uh, tenured uh, Barker's beauties. 
And they've got dudes now, don't they? I think yeah, they have, Bar- yeah, they have guys now. It's it's yeah. uh, it's very PC. That's cool. That's cool. Very woke. Uh, so we are going to do our halftime spiel now. This game you can play, um, and that's find the interesting episode. If you go back uh, to the uh, archive of Mount Rushmore, <laughs> um, you'll learn quickly learn that we talk about stuff that we like, and we try to talk about knowing that if we we dig it, there's probably a lot of people who are uh, hipster pop culture nerds who are going to like it as well. But um, I think you're going to win this game because you'll quickly. Uh, delve into things that talk about movies and books and TV shows and uh, nerd culture and literature and all, all kinds of fun stuff and then just life stuff um, so do us a solid and play the game and go look um, I don't think you'll fall off a cliff if you go through there um, but if you do is there a way to out- overbid and then you get we should put that in we ha- should have that as an episode <laughs> um, that guy had like a did that, the trombone player probably came in for one day thought, eh, this is nothing, this will never go anywhere and it's been playing ever since and He's then the ju- same guy. He also also on this on the same time he recorded same day he recorded that. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> yeah, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> and some guy named Spielberg just wanted him to do a couple low notes for a movie about a fish. Um, the right. Instagram, the Twitter, Facebook. You can go back on Twitter now. It's great. Well, it's still got the guy on it. But uh, um, go back to Twitter. <laughs> the guy. The guy. That tiny from his tiny desk, uh, tweeting. Um, oh, that was and, the best. Yeah, and and message us and let us know episodes you'd love to uh, uh, hear us discuss, and then topics and we in which we missed a good uh, suggestion. So that'd be cool. Anything? Oh, next week, next week we're getting in the holiday spirit, and we are going to be speaking with the proprietor of the weird christmas podcast okay so yeah it'll be fun to talk to the weird christmas guy that's next week uh michael your third choice uh my third choice is a game called punch a bunch oh wow and this is a game that um has kind of these three aspects to it the first part is that you um try to guess the price of a particular object, you know, uh, it's, I think it was like a higher or lower sort of thing where, mm-hmm. you know, it, is the price of this can of tuna higher or lower than 99 cents. And you, if you win, uh, you get a chance and you can get up to like, I think like five chances. Uh, and then you go over, they bring out this punch board, which is, uh, again, kind of like Richard talked about, like the best games are these ones that involve something physical that you're doing now. It's just this big punch board where basically you have like these big paper um, holes that you can punch out and you punch your hand into it with however many chances you've you've chosen. And then you get to um, one by one, whichever I can't I think they do them in the order that you punched them. Bob Barker, whoever will reach their hand in and pull out a slip of paper and on that paper is written amount of money now. The ultimate prize is um, $25,000. So you have a chance. You only get one of 
whatever choices you pull out. So if you reach your hand in and you pull out like a thousand dollars, there's still a lot more prizes out there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more money that you could potentially throw away. So you have to either make that choice then and there. Am I going to keep whatever, uh, I chose or try to get something bigger? And this is where just like greed just mm. takes over. And that's what's great about the price is right and game shows in general is that you're always like tempted by something. You're tempted to, uh, that there's more, there's always more money, but you've got to make that choice. It's like, are you going to choose door number one or door, door number two? But in this, you have like these five different options. And I just love the, the, just the physical nature of like punching through these slips of paper, which is something that like no one can never not do. Like you're just punching your paper. There's, you know, uh, when you get to like the showcase showdown at the end of like, like the halfway mark and, you know, they, where they choose the two people that are going to go into the showcase. It's always great to see the people that like just can barely spin the wheel and you feel so bad for them. (laughs) It's great. You're just like, and that's, that's the only time that I think Bob Barker gets really disappointed. <laughs> Come on, it's like the people I'm, I'm that are so weak. <laughs> but like punching punching through the sheets of paper is like um, it's an easy thing to do, um, and you know people a- approach it with such um, apparent strategy for such a random thing. I'm sure there's like a someone has compiled the um, the punch a bunch kind of heat map yeah. of where <laughs> things are located, the same way they have it for like the daily double on Jeopardy. Yeah. Um, because it is rife with human error. Like Lenny, the intern, fills the punch holes, right? It's not like it's a, a robot or anything like that. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. it's not automatically done. But uh, so you know, it's just these. I like it's three steps. There's three aspects to the game, uh, and then the ultimate, you know, aspect is greed. Yeah, it it is sort of the proto version of deal or no deal mm. in some mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. You know that idea of you have this much amount of money that you are guaranteed and there's a chance you could get more, but there's also a chance you could get less. So which way are you going to go? And it's, it very much works on that same principle as deal or no deal. I believe. I'm yeah. sure there's another like Heigl or I'm, I'm trying to think of which philosopher <laughs> this one is based on. It does seem like this sense of your greed is what's going to be your undoing. And this is, and then the mystery of what's behind this box, it seems like the relish too you describe of the person punching through that paper and getting a little bit of like anger out punching through right. the money. Well, there's always, I mean, there's two, there's a, there's two opportunities for Schadenfreude. There is the person who continues to go and loses a thousand dollars and winds up with like 500. Yeah. And then there's the person who stops at a thousand dollars or $2,500, let's say. And they go and say, well, if you would have continued, here's what the last one was. And it's the $25,000. Yeah. Yeah. So lots of opportunities for schadenfreude. Mm -hmm. Do you, uh, oh, Oh, it's all cash too. Is this the only one on prices, right? Where you're just grabbing money. It was the first one that was all cash, but Plinko's all cash as well. Oh, it is. Okay. And there's a few others, but Uh it was the first one that was all cash. Okay. So this is the first unique, choice that michael has that is not one of richard's uh so richard what is uh punch also through that dollar sign yeah also don't guess? people uh, i hope that people walk away with like whatever they've bid on too like i hope that like they just get like here's your can of tuna and turtle wax and a box of rice aroni 
Like I would love, I would love, like they're just walking away with like this, like a half a sh- half a shopping bag full of like grocery items. They're like, what? Yeah, <laughs> they make they you got- carry. <laughs> He gave you the clearance aisle from uh, Food for Less, yes. Wearing some uh, uh, ill-fitting Hagar slacks. Like, oh, I won these. <laughs> they aren't going to tailor them for me? Oh, a bag of certs. Um, okay, Richard, what's your third? My third is hole-in-one or two. Um, oh. It is the miniature golf game. It uh, is the miniature golf game. Oh, fun. Um, where essentially you're given, I believe it is, let me click my notes here, it's uh, six items, and you're asked to put them in descending or uh, in order from least expensive to most expensive. And the further along you get, the closer you get in terms of a putt that you need to make in order to win the big cash prize or the car or whatever it happens to be. So if you only get one right, you have to start from the very back, or you don't get any right, you start from the very back, and it's like a 25-foot putt. All the way to if you get all six right, it's basically like two feet away. And I love the idea, I mentioned it before, these the physical type of games, and, and Punch-A-Bunch falls into that as well. And this is unique because I think it's one of only a handful of games where... It, while it's important to do well in the pricing element, there is like a physical like aspect to this. Like you physically have to do something in order to win. Um, oh, yeah. And, and so you wind up with, you know, these little old ladies who have probably never played a round of golf in their lives having to make like a 20-foot putt. Mm-hmm. to try to win something or you could be some guy who golfs three times a week and suddenly you've got a two foot putt and this is like a piece of cake for you it's one of the few ones where whatever physical skills that you have can actually help you and i just remember it was always exciting whenever bob barker got up there because he would do what they call the inspiration putt mm. j- just to show that hey this is something you can make and bob barker famously somebody who was a you know a avid golfer so he would just be draining these putts from, you know, 20 feet out and then give the putter over to this poor guy who's like shaking and nervous. <laughs> He's never putted before. Here, it's easy. Now you do it. <laughs> That's so funny. And, and there's always the potential for weird things to happen. I, I will try to remember to post the video of one time a guy missed it by like five feet, but it hit some sort of a pebble or some like, like, imperfection in the carpet that they were putting on and it literally did almost a 90 degree angle and went straight in the hole ah it's the weirdest thing it's it's like one of those trick golf balls it looks like you know the ones that are meant to like curve and go weird Mm -hmm. weird place it looks like that or you'll get somebody who you know hits it way too hard and it goes off the back and it hits off the wall and then bounces in the potential for weird stuff to happen in hole in one or two Mm-hmm. is I think higher than almost any other game. And I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I uh, like, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that the, uh, one of the Barker's beauties um, uh, hit, hit the putt and it, it looked like it was going to miss by a mile. And then it just curved uh, very violently <laughs> into the hole. And they, they, that might Examinable. be what I'm thinking of. Yeah. yeah. I think they determined there was actually like a hole in the ball. Like the ball itself was default. What were you going to say, Michael? Oh, I like that. I, I've always liked um, 
just the if they miss the first butt, they miss the first butt, miss the first putt where Bob Barker will slap the sign and then it changes from hole in one and then it the thing slides and it says or two like this. <laughs> I think it's this great surprise that hasn't been around for like twenty years. <laughs> uh, wow! It, this um, there is a uh, in the wiki it says uh, talks about hole in one. And it says in one episode in the Mexican version of the show, a contestant missed both of her putts from the closest line and Marco blew the ball into the hole. So there is a Mexican version of Price is Right and that where there was in the 80s in which the host was named Marco. Apparently. I got to investigate this. This is this sounds very interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, the the physical uh, challenges, like you said, that this one. You know, you could you could as a golfer uh, never dream of going on the show, but then you end up doing it and you realize you've been practicing your whole life for this moment. It almost seems like the half court shot that the schmuck uh, makes at the college game or something. Yeah, like that. exactly. It's exactly like that. Yeah. All right, Winfield, what do you got? Wrap All right. Up. My my last choice is safe crackers. And it's possible that I am just a sucker for these big, ornate, oversized um, ridiculous gimmicks yeah. that come out. <laughs> a big set piece is always. Fun. I just, I love it. I just, I'd love the the big thing being wheel wheel uh, wheeled out onto the onto the stage. But Safe Crackers is a game where um, there are like two prizes that are hidden within a particular safe. This giant safe that is looks like out of something um, out of a comic book movie or out of a you know a nineteen nineteen twenties bank that uh, someone has to break into and um basically you have to guess the three digit combination uh on the safe to try to open it up and win both prizes and um it's not a very it's not a long game it doesn't take a long time but i just love the hugeness of this and it's you know, it doesn't take a huge amount of skill. You can, you're either going to get it right or you're going to get it wrong. You don't have to do anything physical, but just this thing is just, you know, 12 feet tall, this huge, uh, giant safe. And oh, yeah, yeah. Either, either you win or you don't. And I kind of like that. I like that there's so much effort gone into like, eh, they have to store this thing someplace mm-hmm. and maybe you're going to win a huffy bike and, uh, I don't know, a nice set of China. <laughs> who knows it does seem like a compelling aspect is the playability all of these things look like uh like this is a big arcade and you would want to get your hands on these things to feel what that mechanism is or to feel what it's like to move those little dials around yeah that seems like a component that that i find really attractive like the price is the right set is very very colorful and and it's uh got so much light and neon and and stuff i i also interesting it seems like these games this is not just a show it's kind of an institution and i imagine the people who've been working on it have been um uh have much tenure on it so unlike other games where you don't feel like there's kind of a family aspect it feels like you're watching family play or 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 at least the host you feel like you identify with them with other game shows don't seem to have that. 
I don't feel like that with uh, Jeopardy or, or Wheel of Fortune, really. The, um, the one um, aspect I miss about – the one thing I really did like about Wheel of Fortune back in the day, which mm. they changed, was when um, at some point you just – through a given round, you got to bid on this huge kind of like um, – carousel of prizes that just oh, yeah. spun around it's like uh i'll buy the uh yeah i'll you buy that uh you spent your money uh, at the end of it yeah yeah, yeah. you're like you have two thousand dollars you're like i guess i'll buy that giraffe <laughs> <laughs> that, that wooden giraffe i guess i need one uh some skis sure <laughs> it's like shopping in grandma's attic uh <laughs> i need a a bird cage the, i, I remember that was a dennis miller quip back in the day like mm. uh two thousand dollars for a stereo those are Wheel of Fortune prices. <laughs> I said it was Jay Leno. Sound like uh, I wish with Safe Crackers they would actually turn on a ear piercing alarm and fire a <laughs> shotgun over your head like while you're trying to crack the safe. Something to make it more real. That's and funny. If you lose a security guard would come and literally take you. Away. Escort you yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or people inside. We're suffocating. Okay, the final. Final competitor, the final game is the fourth round uh, choice from Richard Manfredi. All right, so my fourth choice is the race game. Oh, um, wow, this, this is very philosophical, sociological too. This is yeah, where you have to guess the race of different biracial yeah. celebrities. Yeah. No, Ooh. that's not what it is. That's not what it is. They do that's not, not show you a photo of Tiger Woods, <laughs> and you have to guess what race he is. You are the Scotch and Ecuadorian. <laughs> <laughs> the different models come out and you're just like oh, i just got to go through and figure out what you're made of exactly no so let me let me lay out this game for you so you're given there are four prizes that are set at various kind of a few 20 or 30 feet away from each other and you're given four price tags and you have to hang the correct price tag in front of the mm-hmm. correct uh the correct the correct prize and there's a giant lever at, at the beginning, so you when you have 45 seconds. So you start, and you go and you run, and you put your prices in front of the prizes, and you run back and pull the lever, and it stops the clock. And then you see how many you got right. So maybe you got two correct, but you don't know which two you got correct. So then you have to, you have, if you want to, you can choose to go again and rearrange them and come back. And maybe you got three correct this time, or maybe you only got one correct. Now you actually screwed one of them up. So now you have to go back and figure out, okay, if I go back to those two, which one was it and which ones do I need to change? Hmm. And you've got 45 seconds to try and figure this out. Mm-hmm. It's like a lot. I, I liked this game growing up because it was like a logic puzzle. Yeah. It was like one of those logic puzzles that you would get in like the Dell crossword puzzles. Mm-hmm. One of those sort of deals where it's like, well, if A and B, if, if two of the three were correct and then you changed three of them and now only one is correct. So which two are the most likely to have been correct in the first place? So there's that element to it. And again, I also like the idea that this is probably the only this is probably the only game where someone could actually get winded playing it. Oh yeah. By all the running back and forth and trying to do things. You see these people and some of these contestants are not what we would call you know, physical specimens. Mm-hmm. And by the end of this game, there there's a little bit of huffing and puffing going on. Mm-hmm. Wow, what a way to what a way to go if you had died during during the race game. During yeah. the race game. <laughs> he died in a race. 
Was that uh, a 5K, a 10K? No, it was about a few, <laughs> a few, few feet back and forth between the the uh, jet ski. <laughs> September 19th, the uh, Sharon Baker won four cars on the, the race game. Crazy. Wow. <laughs> Chevy Colorado wow. Ranger. Yeah, Jeep. Outlander, Toyota Yaris. That's not. What really the hell fair. are you gonna do with four cars? I don't. I don't know. What do you do? How do you pay the tax on that? You just sell one. <laughs> yeah, you sell one of the cars. You sell one, then you got to pay the tax on it. Um, the Price is Right is one of those game shows that I've I've never really understood um, the general fascination with jet skis. Yeah. <laughs> but on the price is right they are just so prevalent they are just yeah. dying to give them away to somebody yeah i have ridden a jet ski once this was years ago i think we were just out of college and uh, sarah's dad rented it for her and i for an hour but he only got one of them for us so we're doing the thing <laughs> where i'm on front and sarah's on the back and this jet ski is really made for one person mm-hmm. so you add two people to it the the balance gets really wobbly like, it's really hard to control. And Sarah, for what, God love her, for whatever reason, she got super panicky that if she fell off, she oh, was going to no. get mangled in the uh, in the motor of this thing, uh-huh. even though it's completely enclosed and there's like a shutoff switch and all that kind of stuff. So we literally had to get one of the lifeguards to come back and take Sarah and take her back so she could go on the shore. Oh. No fun. So the, and then I spent the last ten minutes riding around and having a blast on the damn thing. It was a lot of I, the last ten minutes were a lot of fun for me, not so much for her. Uh, yeah. What are some prices you see? I, I as a kid, I remember thinking um, Puerto Vallarta was the only vac- vacation destination on the planet. It seems like or they must Acapu- have had Acapulco. Acapulco. Yeah. Uh, and I do recall. I think it was in the Bob Barker, or maybe I'm thinking of Wheel of Fortune. I don't know if Bob Barker would have ever had fur coats, but it seemed like he had fur coats on the show when I was a little kid. Uh, I know he was huh. a, he's a staunch um, animal rights activist. Um, well, as long as as long as the uh, fox was spayed or neutered before it was killed yeah. and skinned, then it or with a diet of okay. diet of natural causes, it's a little bit of mange on the on the fur right. coat. Uh, they gave away a lot of. Um... Uh, dinette sets they gave away a, like patio furniture things that you could that you know all of their prizes and especially in like the showcase were always just like okay there's a bedroom there and then it's like and then the, i think that was the best thing about it was the showcase like the the two of them and it was like you know a kind of gaudy furniture set and then the next person showcase was like here is literal bars of gold <laughs> <laughs> and you're like oh. oh um but it's a twin twin side queen yeah queen bed huh uh, great thanks and an arm a lot of armoires being given away yeah, yeah. always all stuff you already i already have the thing and it's maybe fine. have a better version maybe have a better yeah. version of it yeah yeah all right, dudes. Uh, you know, I would like to ask: Is there, speaking of episodes, uh, we will be considering in the future? Uh, we may be doing the Mount Rushmore of uh, song cues or sound cues for film and television and other things. Was there anything other than maybe the sad trombone disappointment music that you recall as being a great cue out of um, 
the show? There is the well. There's the yeah that one yeah that's that's the only one the other one that I remember yeah I I there's something so visceral about um a new car yeah oh yeah definitely it's 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 not it's not a music cue but it's just like there's always that little pause and it's like you could you could get um you know you could be bidding on this um ten speed. Or a new car. Yeah, and it's yeah. I was like, yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, bicycle. <laughs> that was uh, John. Pre- <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you Johnny, ahead, Johnny Olson was the predecessor, I think, to Rod Roddy, right? And he was the guy who kind of coined a lot of that stuff. Yeah, I always down. appreciated the, it's not a musical cue again, but I appreciated the gap between calling somebody's name and the camera having to scan around the uh, studio audience to find them. Yeah. And then being able to say, come on down. Oh yeah, like, Jill McCarthy. Pause. Awkward. <laughs> Where is she? Oh, there she is. Come on down. Uh, okay, guys. So such a fun choice. Uh, let's do Plinko and Cliffhangers because uh, it's got to be um, got to be uh, right if you guys both chose it. And then um, I th- really think there is some Nietzschean thing in Cliffhangers. Uh, I, I honestly do. And then. Uh, I th- also think there's some something philosophical in that um, punch a bunch game, uh, Michael Whitfield, and uh, I'm gonna go also with hole in one, uh, Richard, because you had some fun backstory to it, and it is interesting to think of uh, Bob Barker just kind of like crushing you, <laughs> this this man with bones like a like a sparrow, and uh, he just crushes, drains a 30 foot putt, and then hands you the putter. Like meeting your father-in-law for the first time and like, here you go, kid. Good luck. Yeah, exactly. That's fun. Okay, cats and kittens, uh, let's all meet next week for the Weird Christmas episode of the Mount Rushmore podcast, featuring our guest from that podcast. Until then, uh, as always, I'm Jeff. I'm Richard. I'm Michael. Please spay and neuter your pets. <laughs> Yay! Yay!